Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. It's hour two of the afternoon show. Welcome in. I am Than Bennett in for Bill today. And this, friends, is going to be a very fun hour. I know that uh, many of you are avid fans of the TV series, The Chosen. I was actually uh, I was having a text message conversation with my mom earlier today, and I, I, I said, uh, I, I, get to, I get to interview Jerry Jenkins tonight. And uh, she said, oh, I'm wearing my Chosen sweatshirt right now. I know many of you are probably just like my mom in that regard. I know probably a lot of you are also fans of the Left Behind book series. I know I definitely devoured that series when they were released many, many years ago. And so I'm looking forward to this hour because my guest is none other than Jerry Jenkins. And Jerry, of course, teamed with Tim LaHaye to write that Left Behind series. His son, Dallas, created the Chosen TV series. And Jerry has written novels based on each of the first three seasons of that series. So the latest one is based on series three. It's titled The Chosen, and I will give you rest. And we are going to talk to him about all of that, and we'll see uh, what else we'll we'll get to. We're also going to talk about how Jerry is sewing into the next generation of authors. So I'm excited about this, and I know you are going to love hearing from Jerry. Let me give you a brief introduction. Probably most of you are very, very familiar with his work already, but we'll get him right on the air. Jerry B. Jenkins is a best-selling author. He has written more than 200 books. I am staggered by that figure, 200 books. And out of that, there were 21 New York Times bestsellers. That's also just absolutely amazing. He has sold more than 63 million copies worldwide, and his books have been adapted into five movies. He's the co-author of the Left Behind series and the new novels, The Chosen, which we are going to be discussing today. And there's a lot more here in this bio that I could tell you about Jerry, but I'm going to stop right there and let's hear from him directly. Jerry, I am so thrilled that you are here. Welcome to the show. Well, I'm thrilled to be here too, Than. I've got a lot of uh, connections with Northwestern and uh, and Northwestern College, so it's great to be with you. We are very, very grateful for your time, and I, I want to use that time wisely. I want to hear uh, your perspective on a lot of different things, but let's start with The Chosen, and, and we'll weave in some left behind as we we go along. Um, this new novel, it's book three of The Chosen series, based on that TV series created by your son, Dallas, of course. Uh, if you would just just give us a glimpse into this book, and for for those who are fans of the of the TV series, I think we'd all like to hear, you know, how how are they similar, how are they different, or what can you expect that maybe is uh, a little bit different than the TV show? Yeah, this is kind of an unusual way to do novels based on uh, a TV show. Usually, when a TV show or a, or a movie is based on a book, well, this one, of course, is based on the Bible. But then I come in at the at the other end once once it's done and and shot and and even on screen, and and I'm sort of deconstructing and and writing a novel to fit that that narrative, and um, you know I, I helped Dallas get started in his movie career years ago, but this 
project is all his. And so I feel like I'm sort of pressing my nose up against the glass asking if I can play too. And he was happy to let me do that. So um, one of the things I try to bring to the table is a novel that could stand alone, even if you haven't seen uh, The Chosen. I, I don't, I'm not sure I've met anybody who hasn't seen it at this point. <laughs> you, were, you were talking about uh, uh, texting your mother about it, and and uh, she said she was wearing some chosen gear. I, I'm wearing a chosen hat right now as we speak. And uh, <laughs> um, in fact, most of my clothes are chosen clothes now nowadays. But what I try to bring to the novel is is more inner monologue of the characters. What are they thinking? What are the, what's their motivation? And then just like the Dallas and his co-writers have used plausible imagination to add to the stories of the Bible. Obviously, we're not taking away from the message of the Bible. We, you know, the, the message of the gospel should not be tampered with, and we're very careful about that. We're lovers of Scripture, and we believe, you know, the gospel is that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, was buried and resurrected. And now sits at the right hand of the Father. That's the gospel, and and if we believe that, we're we're um, you know sons of God, and uh, and so we don't change that. And anything that you see on the screen or in the novels that comes directly from Scripture, say the miracles or the sermons, they're going to mirror exactly what's in the Bible. And when I write a novel to go along with what's on the screen. I like that to be the same too. I, I hate to watch movies and 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 uh, have read the book and find out that they don't jive. Um, but what I I add is even more of that plausible imagination. In fact, the the first novel I wrote for the first season, the Dallas and his writers said, "We really want more of your imagination. Don't just give us what we have already done." And so I've had a lot of fun with these, uh, adding characters, adding dialogue. And uh, it's a challenge, but it's a, it's a great thrill to be working with them, too. I love that. My son Jude is going to be fascinated by that answer because he's a huge movie buff, but he's also a big reader. And he's constantly comparing, you know, which is better, the book or the movie. And in his opinion, it's usually uh, the book. I, I actually want to ask another question about, about your research. But l- let me, before I do that. I've got to ask another question about the the working relationship with your son, uh, Dallas. Uh, uh, as a father myself, my relationship with my son is is obviously one of the most important things to me. It's it's got to be it's got to be special to share a, a project like this. Talk talk about that just a little bit. How how proud are you of his work? I'm sure immensely. But how does how does that working relationship work? You know, we get asked all the time uh, how proud we must be of Dallas and and we realize we're really prouder of who he is than what he's done. I've always thought everything he did was brilliant. And this time I was right. And, and people uh, agree with me. Uh, the working relationship is great. Uh, Dallas is a truth teller and uh, I, I tend to be too. And uh, how that plays out is I have a little accountability board for my own life since I'm a full-time freelance writer and, uh, and I'm not reporting to, to a boss or to a, you know, a corporation, uh, I need accountability. And so I have some close friends that I trust to tell me the truth. And and Dallas is on my accountability board. Hmm. To, to choose your own son as, as a member of your accountability board is a very vulnerable thing to do because you, you can't put anything past uh, him. And uh, and he'll tell the truth and he'll ask the right, the right questions. Um, now, to, to do this, one of the things that I've learned from him and he's learned from me is how different the mediums are. There's a big difference between novels and and uh, what's on the screen, and um, 
and so he he stays in his lane and I stay in mine. But obviously, since since we're doing this one together, uh, it's important that we're on the same page. And uh, you know, he he's busy. He's busier than he's ever been. I mean, this this thing has so exploded. Um, you know, I almost have to have an appointment to talk to my own son. But hmm. he used to be he used to be known as Jerry Jenkins' son. I'm now known as Dallas Jenkins' father. So <laughs> that's how that works. I think maybe that means you've arrived in life. I, I, I look forward to the day and I have no doubt that it will happen that I will be uh, Jude's been a father. That'll be, that'll be great. Uh, I also love the fact that you describe your son as a truth teller. We just came off a conversation last hour about the importance of, of standing on truth. And I think we can all take great wisdom from your seeking out accountability. Uh, let me ask you another question about uh, how, how you research these books. I, I know that you said in this case, the the book is derived from the movie more or less, and it's usually the other way around. But just just thinking more broadly, when you write in general, what is what does some of that research process look like? I mean, it's going to differ depending on how much fiction is in there, I'm sure. But generally speaking, what does that research process look like? Yeah, fiction requires uh, as much research as nonfiction, I find. And uh, I try to write only about places where, where I've been. Uh, I remember when I was doing uh, some some uh, fiction about uh, Petra, the, the place in Jordan, the, the city that was hewn out of rock. Um, I couldn't go there to do it. And I had to study all kinds of videos and other people's books and and uh, all kinds of research online. And I feel like I I did a decent job and people even said, so when were you there? So I think I convinced mm-hmm. them I had been there, but uh, I never wanted to do that again. And since then I've been to Petra a couple of times and it does inform the writing. As far as writing about first century uh, Holy Land, uh, I have been over there several times. And one of my other novels um, was set actually in, in uh, Mesopotamia, 4,000 BC, uh, in the time of Abraham. And so I went over there with an archaeologist who took me to, to some digs and taught me a lot of stuff. Um, so th- that's a lot of the research. I also consult books like Manners and Customs of Bible Lands. Um, I, when I'm writing about um, the first century and Jesus and the disciples, they're walking everywhere, obviously, or they're, or they're riding uh, a donkey or a camel. And I need to know, what was the temperature like back then? How dusty and dirty was it? How long did it take to get from one city to another? Um, those kind of things add authenticity, and it's important in research to, to use the research as seasoning. It's not the main course. The main course is the story. So I use the research as just you know things to drop in. I don't want to overwhelm people with all the research and have it obvious that I've you know be, become a sort of borrowed. I have borrowed credentials on this stuff. Just add in little details that let them know that this is authentic and it's real. So the research is a, is a big, fun part of the project. I love that so much as an author myself. I'm, I'm geeking out a little bit on the answer. But I, uh, so you, you've written kind of across this spectrum, right? From fiction, um, obviously the chosen uh, rooted in ultimate truth, so ultimate nonfiction, but yet still compelling uh, storytelling. But do you have a favorite in there? I mean, where along that spectrum um, is maybe your sweet spot, and, and where do you, where would you like to write? Where's your favorite place to write along that spectrum? Well, my f- my favorite genre is always the one I'm not writing in at the time. <laughs> so if I'm writing if I'm writing a, say adult fiction like I'm writing now with the with the chosen, um, 
I, I, there are times when I wish I was writing a nonfiction book, uh, an as-told-to autobiography. About a third of my total uh, number of books, and, and this is funny because Dallas is, not, is now convinced that I've written more books than I've ever read. But uh, about, <laughs> So about two-thirds fiction, one-third nonfiction. And as I say, when I'm immersed in a project, it's so grueling. You, you can't really love the writing itself. I love being a writer. I love being known as a writer. I love the spoils. I love the ministry of it, the impact of it, and the response from readers. But while you're doing it, if you're doing it right, it's grueling. It's sort of like asking a marathon runner at the 20-mile mark, don't you just love running? Uh, you might get a response you didn't expect. But uh, that's that's how I work and and uh, and how I like to work. And so um, I, I just love the challenge. I think that's so great. Um, uh, yeah, I think running and writing, it is great to finish. It is great to be across the finish line and have the product out in the world world or have the race over. So uh, I love that answer. We're going to take a short break here. I'm Than Bennett sitting in for Bill Arnold on the afternoon show. My guest is Jerry B. Jenkins. We are mainly talking about the new novel, The Chosen, and I will give you rest, but we're also drawing on Jerry's vast experience as an author. We're going to talk later about his investment in the next generation of authors. So we will be more, we will be back with more with Jerry Jenkins right after this. This is Susie Larson, host of Susie Larson Live. You know, for 75 years, God has been changing lives through Faith Radio to celebrate you could win one of the 75 Faith Radio birthday boxes filled with Brant Hansen's new book, Life is Hard, God is Good, Let's Dance, and a new Faith Radio t-shirt and some other fun things to help you grow and commemorate this important birthday. You are an important part of the family, and on this special birthday, you get the presents. You can enter to win yours at MyFaithRadio.com. That's MyFaithRadio.com. It's the afternoon show. I'm Than Bennett, sitting in for Bill Arnold today, having a great conversation with Jerry B. Jenkins. He's the author of more than 200 books, but the one we're mainly talking about today is book three in the Chosen novel series, The Chosen, and I will give you rest. Of course, Jerry's son, Dallas, is the creator of the record-breaking TV series, The Chosen. Uh, Jerry, I want to want to ask you another question about Dallas. I've I've heard him talk actually about what his hopes are for the TV series and, and his desire that it would be, you know, really terrific storytelling around the greatest story ever told, but that the ultimate result would be that people would be drawn to Jesus, that people would know Jesus as a result of the project. And so I, I would assume that there's a, a similar desire for you with the books, but but how do you how do you view that generally? What what do you hope that you know? I, as the reader, takes away uh, from reading either this book or, or the series. Well, it, it is exactly what Dallas says, and and really that should be the the hallmark of all of our lives. Hmm. I mean, we're called to point people to Jesus, and and uh, whatever we're doing, whether you're working in a, a secular job, you're doing the best for for the kingdom, uh, you're do, you're you're trying to represent God and and excellence. And those of us who are called to, to full-time Christian work where we're actually ministering with what we do, um, that should be our goal. I mean, uh, everything else is is just uh, ashes in the end. And, uh, you know, it's that, that old cliche about 
you know, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. That's true. Um, we we have people saying, you know, we, we've seen movies about Jesus, we've seen TV shows about Jesus, what, what's different about this? I'm not sure there's anything different in its, in its intent, but the, the point is to make it so realistic and so accessible and so relatable that we see the disciples and the and the women who follow Jesus as real people with foibles and and annoying uh, personalities. They can be uh, backsliders. They can be petty. Um, they're they're just like us, and we see ourselves in them. Now, Jesus is often hard to identify with in Scripture and on screen because. He's always portrayed as perfect, which we know he was. He was, he was the perfect son of God, but he was also fully human. So uh, I think Dallas and his co-writers, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to carry that on in the novels, we give Jesus a sense of humor and a sense of camaraderie with his friends and make him a kind of guy you'd want to spend some time with. I've often seen uh, Jesus portrayed on screen as so ethereal and so formal that it's like you know you're you're looking up into the sky to talk to him. And uh, he would have been a regular guy, uh, perfect, but fun as well. So that's what we're trying to do, make this accessible, so give people a, a view of Jesus that makes them want to know him better and to love him more. Yeah, I appreciate both those those responses. Our purpose in everything that we should do to, should be to to elevate the name and the fame and the glory of of God. We've been focusing this week, Jerry, on Isaiah forty three twenty one, which is the people I formed for myself, that they might proclaim my praise. Our very purpose for being here is to sing the praises of our Almighty God, and I think you've done that through your work, through your life. Um, on your second point, on the relatable characters, I. I agree with you. I think that is what makes both the books and the TV series compelling. Let me let me kind of uh, maybe dig a little bit deeper on that on on both uh, the chosen and left behind. I have heard uh, you say before that you uh, are are not trying to write a bestseller when you sit down, but that you're just trying to be the best writer. You're trying to tell the most compelling story possible, and you just said that a big component of that is relatable. Uh, characters, but obviously, you know, not not everything hits the same, right? You've written more than two hundred books, and uh, Left Behind was a runaway bestseller. You've had, I think, it was twenty one uh, bestsellers. The Chosen, obviously, a huge hit. What do you think uh, is uh, that 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 chord? What struck a chord with those two projects and others that connected so powerfully with people? Certainly, the relatable characters. What else? What makes the difference there? I think that. Um you know, timing is important. And obviously, it's a God thing. Um, one of the things Dallas mentioned, he he was kind of intrigued by the fact that Left Behind took off and exploded like it did. In fact, that was when he was at Northwestern uh, hmm. University as a student. And uh, he, he said, he reminded me, he said, you know, I watched you write those. And it wasn't like you were standing up at the keyboard, or hitting the, the keys with your fists. Or you had to be, you know, sprayed with water to keep cool. You said you, you were doing what you do every day. You were telling a story. And clearly God w- was in this. Uh, one of the things I think was a secret to Left Behind, especially, especially for this crossover business, where it crossed over into the general market, where even people who weren't believers and weren't initiated to this story were intrigued by it, and, and uh, many came to faith. I think what worked there was that the rapture happened in the first chapter of the first book. And so all the people who should have all the jargon and the, the cliches and the 
evangelical lingo are gone. And the ones left behind are really desperate and looking for answers in their own language. And they're saying, how can you say God is behind this when there's such chaos? And why, why would a loving God do this and leave the, the world the way it is after the rapture? And so I injected what I consider uh, credible, skeptical characters. And not all of them become believers in the end and, and have kids that grow up to become missionaries and, all, and everything's tied in a neat bow. Many of them never come to faith because that's real life. We, we see that in our own lives. We share our faith. Some people just laugh and, and, and some are offended. Some may come to faith and that's wonderful, but not all of them do. So I wanted those, those skeptical characters in there to represent the re some readers and say, here are some legitimate questions they're asking. Are the answers believable? Do they make sense? And and many readers have written to say they came to faith because they, they saw themselves in those books. And uh, again, the timing, I mean, left behind. We didn't plan it this way, but it, the first book came out in 1995, five years before the end of the millennium. And for some people, hmm. for some reason, people thought the end of the millennium would have something to do with the end of time. I never thought that, and and I don't know. And our calendar isn't even accurate, as far as we know. Uh, it, it has to be adjusted every few years to, to to be have some semblance of accuracy. But people had that in their heads that you know the end of the millennium could be the end of the world, and so they were curious: what does the future hold? What do are people saying about the future? We live in scary times. Uh, people want to know what's coming. And they thought, well, who, what do these crazy Christians think is going to happen based on Bible prophecy? And somehow that made a made left behind a, a, a sales phenomenon. Hmm. Jerry, I want to follow up on your point about the crossover appeal. But first, uh, if, uh, if you are listening and you have a question for Jerry, maybe you're a fan of The Chosen, a fan of Left Behind, and you have a question for him, you can text that in to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Jerry, um, my background is in public policy, and we've had a, a couple of conversations over the course of this week about how if we as uh, as ambassadors for Christ, if we want to win converts, you've got to do the same thing that you do in the field of public policy. You've got to have real conversation, real relationship, real dialogue with people who hold a different opinion. You're not going to be able to bring someone to Christ if you don't have any relationship with those who don't yet uh, know him. And so I, I was struck when you mentioned the crossover appeal. And I just wonder when, when you sit down to write one of these books, you know, obviously one of the things that every writer is told is identify your audience. How, how have you managed to write to an audience of Jesus followers, but also in a way that does have that crossover appeal so that it can draw others to Christ? I think that's a, that's a powerful, powerful thing that you've accomplished. And I think if you could help us grow in that, it would benefit all of us. How, how, did, you, did you have that in mind when you sat down? Yeah, in fact, that was the biggest challenge because um, one of the great things about working with Dr. LaHaye on this, he was the scholar and the theologian, and he kept me on track that way. He's not a fiction writer, so he didn't try to, to write any of this. I, I got the fun part. I got the writing part. And he was a great cheerleader. I would send him 100 or 200 pages at a time, and he would say, send me more. I want to find out what happens myself. But I asked him before I started writing, I said, who am I writing to? Am I writing to the people who are who are 
in in on the boat with us and and in the camp and believers they just need to be encouraged or am i writing to persuade the uninitiated and he said both and i said well you know a, a, a double-minded book is unstable in all its ways mm-hmm. and so you kind of have to pick an audience and for about a year I, I had to take a break before i actually wrote these because i was asked to assist uh, dr billy graham with his memoirs it was the privilege of a lifetime but during that year, I kept asking Dr. Lay, can we settle on an audience? And he he would not get off that. He said, somehow we've got to tell this story to, in a way that encourages believers and persuades unbelievers. And and so that, that was a, a, a huge challenge. And I felt the weight of that from day one. But I think the, the key was to just say, and this is this has been a problem with the church. You've kind of hinted at it. You know, we we disagree with a lot of people on public policy and on the current culture and some of the lunacy we we see going on. But we can't dislike and hate those people, or we're violating scripture. We're violating what Christ calls us to do. Um, we may disagree with somebody on every lifestyle choice, and and every political choice that they make, but. Somehow these people have, you know, and and I think this has been a failure of the church. They don't feel welcome in the church. They don't feel accepted or or even listened to, and so they assume that we're all bigots, we're all haters, and uh, and we're not being Christ-like. So the challenge in, in writing, and in just life, can we love these people enough to listen and to find out where they're coming from, and to show them that even though we may di- be diametrically opposed to their views or their actions, we love them, and God loves them. That's what's going to motivate people to turn toward the faith instead of away from it. I appreciate that so much. We're going to take a short break in just a moment here, uh, Jerry, but that is really one of the heartbeats that I live by right now, is 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 trying to grow in the grace of living in a way that that draws people to Jesus Christ, standing on truth. The truth is, is something that is um, so beneficial to those around us and needs to be offered. We need to offer it in a way that recognizes that we too uh, fall short of it. Also, as we as we head to a break, I just want to echo something that Jerry said a moment ago. He talked about the mixed results of his books and not necessarily knowing which one will succeed and which one uh, maybe might, might not in the world's eyes. You know, I think our obligation is to do the very best with the gifts and the skills and the opportunities that God has put in our hands to work like it depends on us. But then when we're done to lay that offering down at the feet of Jesus and and offer it to him, because all of us belongs to all of him and trusting that he will take it where it needs to go for the impact that he has designed and ultimately for his glory. So Jerry, I'm so grateful for those thoughts. I'm eager to pick up the conversation with you on the other side. Again, my guest is Jerry Jenkins. He's the author of book three in the Chosen series. It's called The Chosen, and I will give you rest. And we will have more conversation with Jerry right after this. Welcome back to the Afternoon Show. I am Than Bennett, sitting in for Bill today. My guest is Jerry B. Jenkins, the author of the latest book in the Chosen series. It's book three, The Chosen, and I Will Give You Rest. Having a great conversation. Uh, Jerry, I want to I have a little fun at my own expense here. And we had 
uh, we had this conversation before we went on air, but let's just go through some numbers here. Uh, you have written more than 200 books. What, what's the exact number? Do you know? Uh, 209. And um, you mentioned 63 million sales. That was just left behind alone. There's another 10 million um, for, the, for the other books. <laughs> okay. So, so I'm doing the math here on my napkin. So you've written 209 books. I've written two. So between us, we have 211. Let's just share those equally. And then, uh, well, actually I wrote three, but only two published. So, you know, I have a 67% uh, success rate here. Let's see, you, you've sold 73 million copies. Right. Okay. I, I think I've maybe sold 73. So that's pretty much the same. Um, no, so, so I, I, I kid, but I, I have a question behind it because I, I know some of your story. I know, uh, that you've written since you were a teen, um, and you wrote a lot before your first big success. So I'm hoping maybe you could, uh, talk to some of the authors out there. How, how do you reflect on that kind of a career with, uh, incredible success, 21 New York times bestsellers, but obviously a, a lot of hard work. How do you reflect on it as a whole? Yeah, I was an overnight success. Um, my my first New York Times bestseller was my 75th book. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't have successful books before that. I had some bestsellers and I had some, um, you know, some books that, that made me enough money to put my kids through college, maybe pay the house off. But Left Behind was my 125th book. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I just I just stayed at it and uh, and it hits. And, you know, you were talking about uh, sitting down to write a bestseller. That's a huge mistake because when, pe when people do that, they try to, to add all the elements they see in the current bestsellers and think that it's it's sort of a formula. If I have this kind of action or this kind of problem or this kind of issue, that's going to be a bestseller. What I've found is I need I, I do my best writing when I'm writing out of the overflow of my passions. So the writing is sort of not the most relevant part. I want to get out of the way of the writing. If I'm trying to show off my vocabulary or show off fancy turns of phrases or try to emulate some great writer, um, it's going to show and it's going to distract. I have content. I have a message I want to share. And when I'm passionate about it, that passion comes through. And I found that those are the books that that succeed the most and and, and readers respond the most to. So I want to ask a couple more questions about uh, along those lines, the, the advice for authors. And then in a moment, we can talk about some of the courses that you're doing. You said you, you try to get out of the way of your writing. A, a moment ago, uh, you said something like this. This might not be verbatim, but you said something like, I, I don't love to write. I love being a writer. I love having written. And if it comes easy, then I'm not doing it right. Um but obviously, Jerry, you know, words that are well-crafted affect people's lives. Your words have affected people's lives. And I think that's the fun part. That's the rewarding part. But I so relate to uh, what you said, and I think probably a lot of authors do. Um, there's joy in the end, but the, in, in, in the middle, there's, there's a lot of hard work. So may, maybe talk a little bit about what that hard work looks like. You, you alluded to it, but what does it take to stick with it? When it gets hard, when there's writer's block, or it's just not fun, or you're, you're, you haven't had success, if you truly feel called to, to write and you're in the middle of that hard work, what, what, what's it take to persevere? I think it's important to know your why. Um, a lot of people assume because of the, the, the amount of production I've done that I was called to write. Uh, 
And I, I was a sports writer before I was old enough to drive. I was 14 years old. I talked my way into a sports writing job. My mother had to drive me to the games and back to the newspaper office. I learned so much. But uh, I actually was called to full-time Christian work. At about 16, I, I went forward in a meeting and felt under conviction that, that I, should, I was being called to make my living in full-time Christian work. And I remember telling the counselor about my, my sports writing and saying, I'm willing to give that up. I'm willing to study to be a pastor or missionary, whatever this means. And she was really, really wise. She said, you know, God often equips us before he calls us. Hmm. So if he's equipped you with this gift, I mean, it was it was uh, really an embryonic gift. That I had a lot of growing to do, but it was a gift. She said, don't be too quick to give that up. That may be the vehicle you use to fulfill your true call, which is full-time Christian work. And that has has proven to be the case. Um, I think that um, when when you talk about, you know, why is it so grueling? Um, most writers are introverts and perfectionists. Hmm. And that's a, a tough combination. Uh, I love to meet with meet readers. I love to to do public speaking and that type of thing. But I test, when I do psychological tests, I test as an introvert. I'm much more comfortable at home in front of the computer working. Um, but it, it's important to, to do it right. And so to me, all writing is rewriting. Get that first draft down and then tear it to shreds. And that's where the magic happens. Um, and, and it is, as I say, it's grueling work, but the rewards are great. And, and you feel this, this, such a great sense of satisfaction. And I found, too, that because of this calling, not to writing but to, to, to the ministry, that once I've written the, the manuscript, I've succeeded because I've obeyed. Hmm. And the sales have nothing to do with me. The sales, the number of good reviews or the royalties or anything like that, that's out of my hands. Very similar to what Dallas is saying now about how he, re- he learned that it was not his job to do the miracle of the multiplication of the ministry. His job is to bring his loaves and fish, and it's Jesus' job or God's job to, to feed the 5,000. Um, so we, we came to those realizations at early points in our careers, and I think that's really made all the difference. Jerry, I remember the date. It was April 19th, 2015. I remember the chair I was sitting in as I listened to a message and had a a verbal, a silent verbal fight with God. I knew God had been calling me to write for some time, and I had been disobeying for a lot of the reasons that you just said. I didn't know how to write a book. I didn't know how to publish a book. I didn't think it would be successful. And the words that God said to me is, I didn't say anything to you, Than, about that. I asked you to obey. And so when you say a finished manuscript means that it has been a success because success is obeying, I say amen and amen, whether it's writing a book or doing something else. If you're listening out there and God has planted something in your mind and in your heart and he has told you to do it, I beg of you, simply obey. So good, Jerry. So good. If if you're listening, you're a fan of The Chosen, a fan of Left Behind or any of Jerry's work and you have a question for him, I want to mix those in. Uh, you can text those to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. 
8-4. Jerry, you mentioned a minute ago your biographies, and you mentioned that you did some work in sports writing. Uh, my dream as I was uh, growing up was to be the play-by-play announcer for the Chicago Cubs. I know Wyatt, who is producing Behind the Glass. He's done some work in sports, and so there's some uh, camaraderie there. But uh, talk to talk to me about your biography work. I know some of those were for sports figures. What are What were maybe two or three of your favorite biographies that you worked on? Well, as I mentioned, the the one with with uh, Dr. Graham was the privilege of a lifetime. I've done several evangelists, but I but I do I do ke- still keep a finger in the sports world, and uh, I have done um, biographies of Hank Aaron, Walter Payton, Nolan Ryan, Oral Hershiser, uh, Brett Butler, the Dodger that uh, played a few years ago. Uh, have done a couple books with uh, the former manager of the Cardinals and the Royals, Mike Matheny. He's an outstanding believer and a, a wonderful guy. Um, a couple of favorite incidents when in doing these books. I, I remember watching uh, Oral Hershiser warm up before a game, and he was throwing 92-mile-an-hour sinkers. And I remember thinking, <laughs> I, I had played baseball. In fact, I didn't realize you and I are, are, are Cub fans. I hate to disappoint anybody that's against tattoos, but I actually have a Cubs tattoo on my arm. Amen, brother. <laughs> that's, how much, that's how much a fan I am. But I remember thinking, I don't think I could even catch a big league pitch, let alone hit one. And then a few years later, when I was doing Nolan Ryan's book, I'm watching him warm up in the bullpen. And he said, you know, he throws a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. And he says, uh, would, would you want to grab a bat and stand in? Give me perspective. <laughs> And I said, yeah, I would, but I, don't, I only brought one pair of pants. And uh, <laughs> the, the catcher in there said, yeah, like we would let a civilian stand in against this fastball. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I didn't have to do that. But uh, it was just amazing to see what the human body can do with a professional like that. Hmm. I love it so much. Yeah, I, I am a dar- diehard Cub fan. In fact, I had to bite my tongue a little bit when you mentioned Mike Matheny. I am very glad he's a good man, Jerry. I really am. <laughs> I still don't want him to have any success against the Chicago Cubs. I'm sorry. Um, okay, we're 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 going to go to a break. We got one more segment with Jerry having a great conversation. Uh, the new book is The Chosen, and I will give you rest. Of course, written by Jerry Jenkins, his son Dallas, uh, created the Chosen TV series. When we come back, Jerry, I want to talk about uh, what you're investing in the next generation of authors, and then maybe also about some uh, what projects are around the corner for you. So we will pick up that conversation with Jerry Jenkins on the other side of this break. Receive a daily email featuring a scripture graphic. Sign up for this first of the day email at myfaithradio.com. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arnold on Than Bennett in for Bill today. My guest is Jerry B. Jenkins, the author of the new book, The Chosen, and I will give you rest and I I thought I was a fan of Jerry before having this conversation. I have just learned that he has God's gift of being a Chicago Cubs fan. And so my, my respect and admiration for you, Jerry has gone up even further, which is, is, is actually tough to do, but I'm, I'm grateful to have that in common. 
a few more minutes with you here. I want to ask about your investment in the next generation of authors. I know that you uh, spend a lot of time leading writing courses and encouraging young authors or uh, maybe even established authors in their profession. So talk to us a little bit about those courses. Who are they for? Uh, what will a writer who takes them come away with? And maybe how should any author or writer who uh, wants more information, where, where can they find that? Yeah, I'm available at jerryjenkins.com and uh, I have the Jerry Jenkins Writers Guild. And I also have all kinds of free things for, for writers. I have about 2,000 online students um, and everything from free tips and blogs to courses that you can, can pay for, uh, some very modest up to some very expensive ones with to give you more access. I really feel obligated to pass forward the, the blessing I've had. I've had such a dream career. And um, I just love to to share what I've learned and try to bring writers along. So for anybody from beginner to somebody who's who's been published, um, I believe that that depending on which courses you want to take and what you find at jerryjenkins.com, you'll be better uh, at the end of it. That's that's my goal. And uh, just just love doing it. JerryJenkins.com. If you are a writer, an author, I really encourage you to check it out. There is, I've I spent some time on the website today, a wealth of resources, a wealth of opportunities. If you are stuck in your career, or if you just want to know, figure out how to make the next step, very likely Jerry has an offering for you. Jerry, I'm, I'm curious. You've uh, done an awful lot, uh, obviously a lot on your plate as well. But what is, what's next? Are you, are you working on book four? Are you working on another book or uh, what, what's around the corner for you now? Yeah, I actually have finished novel four um, and that'll be out later this year. And so I have novels five, six, and seven to go. There'll be seven seasons in the, the chosen. I'm doing one for each season. Uh, I did finish another book with Mike Matheny. It's called The Dad Coach. That won't be out till next year, but it's about it's for men who get pressed into service coaching their kids little league teams and he's saying i i will teach you what to teach them as far as baseball with videos and little qr codes that you can access and see how to do it but he said more important let me teach you how to teach them character because only one in a million little league kids is going to wind up as big leaguers but all of them are going to grow up to be men so what are we teaching them? What are we giving them? So uh, the dad coach would be a good one next year. I did also rewrite uh, a, a book that I had written 35 years ago and has been in print ever since. It's called Hedges, Loving Your Marriage Enough to Protect It. I rewrote that for the 21st century, and uh, that comes out uh, this fall. So um, still a lot, a lot on my plate, and, and uh, I, I don't want to be that writing coach who used to write. I want to be a writing coach who's still in the game. So uh, I'm, I'm staying at it. I love the dad coach. I, you know, my, my dad was a coach of, uh, we, I have three brothers, so there are four of us. He was the coach of just about every, uh, not just little league, but, uh, basketball, soccer, uh, you name it. He was the coach and he recently had his 70th birthday, Jerry. And my youngest brother put together a compilation of his former players, my dad's former players from, uh, all different ages. Now, of course, they're all, all grown, or at least most of them grown, uh, uh, speaking about the impact that he had on their life. There is 
there's nothing quite like a coach speaking into the life of a player. And that compilation was, was special to my dad. It was special to me to watch. So you said it's called dad coach and it's coming out next year. Is that right? Yeah. It's called the dad coach. And, uh, uh, well, we have more in common than I thought. How is it we haven't met? I'm I'm one of four boys as well. <laughs> well, and 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 we've written the same amount of books, pretty much. So you, uh, you know, you? It, we, we we should have met before. Uh, l- let me ask you this: I'm curious because you mentioned before you mentioned a little bit of your working relationship with uh, Tim LaHaye and how that worked, how you did the writing, and um, he was he was a cheerleader. But what what are some of your memories about Tim? What are what are some of the things you remember about working with him? You know, it was really great. Um, I remember the day my agent called me and asked me if I'd ever met Tim LaHaye, and I had not met him. I'd heard him speak, and I had published him in magazines that I'd edited. He'd, he'd have a column. So I was aware of him, but I hadn't met him. And And he said, well, Dr. LaHaye is a nonfiction best-selling author who has a great fiction idea, and you're a novelist with no ideas, so let's get you guys together. <laughs> and uh and he was the same age as my parents. So there was a father-son dynamic there. And anybody who remembers Dr. LaHaye, uh, he's been gone now uh, since 2016. But he was kind of a polemic guy. He was a right-wing conservative, and he was outspoken and very firm on his doctrines and his positions. But I saw the soft side of him. I saw the generous side, the pastoral side. We would be at a signing somewhere, and uh, he'd be sitting next to me. We'd be signing books. And all of a sudden, he'd be gone. And I'd look around, and he'd be in the corner somewhere praying with somebody. That was him. He was a total evangelist. He had a soft heart for God and a soft heart for people. And, uh, you know, he he could be an arguer and a battler and that type of thing. But we loved each other too much for us to get sideways. And I just loved working with him. It was like going to the LaHaye Seminary for 20 years. Yeah, I've had a little bit of uh, interaction with his work, and I, I agree. I think the, I think the the sum total of his work was always pointing people to Jesus Christ, and that's one of the main takeaways I've had with our conversation as well, Jerry. Is all of your work pointing to Jesus Christ? And I just feel compelled. I, I, this is a little bit spur of the moment, and I'm sorry if I'm uh, putting you on the spot a little bit, but you you expressed a desire that all of your work would draw people. Uh, to a saving grace in Jesus Christ. And as we close our time, we just got a couple minutes left together, but I, I would just invite you to speak to that person who might be listening, who does not yet have uh, that relationship with Jesus Christ. Certainly this book, The Chosen, and I Will Give You Rest, would be one tool for drawing that person to Jesus. The Chosen series, an excellent tool. But who? what would you Jerry B. Jenkins, say to a person out there who's still a little bit skeptical, why does that person need a relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, the first thing I'd like to say, I think, is that be careful not to judge God or judge Jesus based on those of us who are his imperfect followers. We make mistakes. We say things we shouldn't. We act ways ways in which we shouldn't. Uh, we're not always good representations of Jesus and of God. But God loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. And I believe what sets Christianity apart is that it's not a religion where you're trying to, to do better so that you can earn your way to God. This is God's attempt to reach out to you and say, all you have to do is believe and let me take care of the rest. And as I mentioned earlier, The gospel is simple. Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, 
died on the cross in our place, was buried, resurrected, and sits at the right hand of the Father now and is an advocate for us. That's it. All the other stuff, the politics and the the cultural issues and the things we might disagree on, don't judge the faith by that. Look to yourself and say, is there something I need? Am I a perfect person? Do I qualify for heaven? Not one of us does. And Jesus is waiting for you to come to him. Amen and amen. I thank you so much for that. I could not have said it better myself. I'm grateful for you sharing your heart. Uh, Jerry, thank you for your work. Thank you for your life's work for, for this book. Again, the title is The Chosen and I Will Give You Rest. The website is jerryjenkins.com. Uh, my mom thanks you and your son Dallas for some very comfortable chosen gear. And I'm I'm grateful that you're a Chicago, a Chicago Cubs fan. And I'm grateful that you would spend some time with us today. Well, you made it easy. I think you've done this before and uh, I really appreciate it. It's been fun to be with you. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Jerry B. Jenkins, everyone. Again, the book is The Chosen, and I will give you rest. Of course, the TV series is The Chosen, and the website is Jerry Jenkins. I really do encourage you, if you are an author who isn't quite sure how to take the next step, go to Jerry B., uh, jerryjenkins.com, check out some of these courses. I spent some time on there today. I'm a published author, and yet uh, the time that I spent on there, I took away a couple of uh, great tips for taking the next step in my writing journey. So again, jerryjenkins.com, grateful for his time today. Hope you will check it out. Friends, it has been an absolute joy to be with you today and this week. I am grateful for our guest. I'm grateful for Wyatt, who is behind the glass producing. Thank you, sir, for a very fine job. And you have, you've heard me say this several times now, but I really want to leave you with this thought today. There are a lot of things in the world that would distract us from truth. We talked about some of those in the first hour of the broadcast. But you are loved by a big God. You were made, you were intentionally designed by God. You were made for God, and you are deeply, deeply loved by that God, by the God of the universe and the, the lover of your soul. This life is not about you, it's about God, but you can and you should walk in a holy confidence because you are his. I'm Than Bennett, sitting in for Bill Arnold. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.